Well, again, great to see everybody. And uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about living by the Spirit. And uh, I want to go all the way back to the book of Genesis to get started. We have Adam and Eve, and they have their first two children, Cain and Abel. And they come and they bring a sacrifice to God. One brings blood, the other brings the works of their hands, and uh, there is a, there's a fight that takes place. Now, Cain is the one who really brought the works of his hands, and, and he gets really mad, and he's mad at Abel. Now, he's going to end up killing his brother, and by the way, the first murder took place fighting over religion. How many, how many of you have had some uh, problems in your family? I mean, the only thing that's stronger than politics is religion. Amen. Right? A lot of fights, a lot of fights. Now, the reason there's this fight is there's a wrong spirit. But this is what God said to Cain before he attacks his brother. He said, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin lies at the door. Its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. He said, the sin's desire is for you and you should rule over it. You should take dominion. You should not have sin rule your life, but you should rule over it. A while back, there was an article in the news. It said a 500 pound Belgium tiger kept in rural Pound County killed its owner at her residence. And uh, they later found her and the tiger in the cage. Now, now this woman had had a number of exa exotic animals and had kept them and trained them. Now, a 500-pound cat. I mean, that's a big cat. Now, I'm sure when she got that cat, it was just a little cat. You know, maybe five or ten pounds, and it was cute. She could lay it on its back and rub its stomach, and it would purr and... And it grew a little bigger and she could take it for a walk. But by the time that tiger was 300 pounds, she could not take it for a walk. It took her for walks. In fact, that tiger would do pretty much anything it wanted. Now, really, that is what sin is like. Sin starts out really small. And uh, it can be cute. It, it, you can think it's cute. It can be appealing, but it doesn't stay small. It keeps on growing. In fact, there's, a, there's this scripture in Ephesians. It says that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. In other words, sin never stays the way it starts. It keeps growing. It says it grows corrupt. It wants to go deeper, it wants to go darker, it wants to go further, it wants to go harder, it wants to go more. Sin does not stay at a certain size, it grows. And the Bible says that it grows in a negative sense. Grows corrupt, the old man, that's why they say dirty old man, I think. Because it grows. You think, well, I'm just gonna do this for a little while and then I'm gonna quit. But the Bible says that it grows. It does not diminish, it grows. And of course, we're living in a society today which really celebrates sin. 
whether, whether it's uh, adultery, whether it's fornication, looseness sexually, whatever it is, our society celebrates it. We have a society where anything goes, but let me just tell you, nothing that will satisfy. Anything goes, but nothing will satisfy. The poet William Ernest Hensley, he said, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Now, let me just tell you that that is not true. That is not true. You are not the master of your fate or the captain of your soul. Romans chapter six. Do you not know that to whom you present your members slaves to obey? You are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So the Bible says if you give yourself to sin, you will become the slave of sin. Proverbs 5, 22 says that the wicked man is caught in the cords of his sin. In other words, you participate with sin and you think, I'm just going to try this. I'm just going to do this. And then I'm going to walk away. But the Bible says that the sin puts cords around your leg. And you try to walk away and you think I'm done and you get about so far and that thing yanks you back. And you thought that you were the one that was in charge, but you find out that when you present yourself to sin, you become sin's slave. Now in Revelation chapter two, Jesus is talking to the churches in the first three chapters. And he says, now I say this to the rest in Thyatira. As many as do not have this doctrine, have not known the deep things of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden and I will give him the morning star. I will give him the morning star. So what Jesus is saying is, is people that do not get involved deep in the deep things of sin. He said, God is going to give them, Jesus said, I'm going to give them a special reward. He calls it the morning star. You know, the greatest testimony that you can have is not that you lived a life of sin and you were addicted to drugs or alcohol or whatever and then got set free. The greatest testimony you can have is that you never got involved in all that stuff. You accepted Jesus and you lived a clean, pure life. And Jesus said there is a special reward for those people, a special reward. It's in Hebrews chapter one and verse nine. A lot of religious people are mean. And I would just like to say that religion is mean. It's judgmental and it's mean. The Pharisees caught a woman in the act of adultery and brought her to Jesus and said, you know, the law says to stone him. What do you say? Now, what a spiritual thing to be watching and catch somebody. How spiritual. They, 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 were, they were just like, they were mean. Um, every, every couple years, we take a, a group of you to, to Israel and we're going again, I think late February, early March. But a couple years ago, we had a, a group in, in Jerusalem and it was Saturday morning. Now, for the religious Jewish community, the Sabbath begins on Friday when the sun goes down. And then it ends Saturday when the sun goes down. 
So it's Saturday morning and we're going to see a certain site in the Jerusalem area and we drive through the ultra-Orthodox section of Jerusalem. Now, in, in, uh, in, in Jerusalem, in fact, in Israel, you, you live in sections. There's a section of the town that's Orthodox. There's an ultra-Orthodox. There's different sections, and, and that's for you. So we're driving through the ultra-Orthodox section. And there is this, and now those of you who know, you know, they, they wear the, all the black, the guys do, and they got the black hat, you know, and they got the beard, and they got the things that go like this, you know. And come on. Okay. And, uh, and on Sunday, they cannot get in a car and they can't drive. So our bus is going through the ultra-Orthodox section, all right? And there's this guy, he's got all his ultra-Orthodox stuff on, you know, and curlies, and he's got his little son with him, like five years old. And we drive through, and he gives us the bird. He gives us the bird because we are breaking the rules. Listen, religious people, Christians, whatever kind, See, that, that when you're religious, you're mean. And you're a rule keeper. That's what religious people do. Now, here's what it says about Jesus. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Now, it says because you hated lawlessness... And you loved righteousness. It says God has anointed you with the oil of glad. How many of you know Jesus was not mad? He was glad. Jesus was smiling. Jesus was happy all the time. But when you've got somebody and they're, they're, they're mad at you because you break the rules, it's the wrong spirit. Very simply, that's the wrong spirit. All sin really produces is guilt, shame, regret, bondage, and addiction. And listen, sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. It'll always take you farther than you want to go. And it will cost you more than you ever thought you'd have to pay. Always. Now, the Bible says in James 4, 7, it says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, the important part here, I can't say the important part, all of it's important, but notice what's first. It's submit to God. It's love God. It's serve God. And then it's resist the devil. And by the way, when do we resist him? All the time. All the time. And I believe that today, particularly in Western society, in the Western church, that we underestimate God's holiness. And because of it, we don't see sin the way God does. We underestimate his holiness. We underestimate the cost of sin, the results of sin. Now, Galatians 2.20, this is one of the key verses to living a victorious Christian life. It says, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, Christ lives in me. And it's no longer I that live. So here's what he's saying. 
He is saying that I, Dwayne Vanderklok, in my flesh, I cannot live right. Romans 7, verse 23, says the law of sin abides in your members or in your body. Your body wants to do wrong stuff. It wants to do wrong stuff. You say, but I'm a Christian. No, 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 no. Your body is not a Christian. Your body is heathen. Your spirit's a Christian, but your body is a heathen. And your body wants to do wrong stuff. So what it's saying is that I can decide, I can put on my willpower. And I can say, I will not, I will not, I will not, I will not. And I can do that a thousand times. But you know what? I'm going to do it again. And then I say, I will not, and I'll do it again. And then I will not, and I will not, and I will not, and I will, I will not, and I will do it again. Now, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature, a new creation. The living Bible says a new person on the inside. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, when you become a Christian, your body doesn't become a Christian. Your spirit becomes a Christian. And your body is still a mess. And your body is still going to want to do wrong things. So what Paul said is inside me now, Christ lives. And if I will listen to Christ, if I will follow Christ who lives in me, he said it this way. He said, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. He says, you need to let Christ live through you because what you can't do in your flesh, he can do. Listen, I did not, listen, I did not get saved until I was 20 years old. I went to church, but I was not a Christian. And I'm going to say, I sinned. And I liked sinning. In fact, I would get done sinning, and this is what I'd think to myself. When's the next time I can sin? Hello? That's what I'd think. But then I became a Christian. And then I just thought about sinning. And on the inside, something went, no. Don't do that. You don't want to do that. That's not who you are. Why? Because Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. So the Bible says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's not a matter of trying to not do something. It's a matter of doing what's really down on the inside in your heart. First John 3, 9. Those who've been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep sinning because they're children of God. So this is what it's saying. It's saying you become a Christian and once you become a Christian, you don't want to sin anymore. Listen. I rob all the banks I want. I take all the drugs I want. I get drunk all I want. I commit adultery all I want. I sin all I want. You think it's like, is this a confession, Pastor? <laughs> no, I don't want to. In fact, I say I sin all I want. I sin more than I want because I don't want to. Because that new person on the inside, that new person in the Bible says they have God's life in them. You're a brand new person on the inside, but you're not a new person on the outside. Your old person is a mess. So you got to let Christ live 
through you. And when you do, when Christ is in you, that new part of you, it will never agree with sinning. In fact, once you're saved, you're ruined for sinning. You do it and you'll be miserable. In fact, the most miserable people on the planet are not sinners because they've got yuck inside and yuck outside. And so it's just yuck, yuck. They sin and their outside agrees and their inside agrees, right? But when you become a new person in Christ, inside, the Bible says you have God's life. And that part of you will never agree with sin. And if you let your old flesh dominate you on the inside, you are going to be miserable. So there's an old song that says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. When you live out of your spirit, there's joy, there's peace, right? There's righteousness. The Bible says he anoints you with the oil of gladness. But if you're a Christian and you're listening to your flesh, you're just miserable because this part of you, that new part will never submit, never agree to that sin. Walk in the spirit, Galatians 5, 16, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So it's not a matter of saying, I will not, I will not, I will not. It's a matter of saying, what's in my heart? What is Jesus inside me? What's he saying? Where is he leading? And you follow that and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In Matthew chapter four, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove. And the Bible says that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. To be tempted. So when Jesus is in the wilderness, Satan comes and said, if you be the son of God, do this. And Jesus says, it is written. Then Satan comes again and tempts Jesus. And Jesus says, it is written. And then Satan comes again and tempts Jesus. And Jesus says, it is written. And then the Bible says that Satan left for a more opportune time. It wasn't like temptation was done. He just was waiting for a more opportune time. I remember as a young Christian, I thought, I'll just get so spiritual, I'll never be tempted. Doesn't work. I remember a man, <laughs> he came to me and he said, Pastor, I want you to pray. I will never be tempted. I said, Lord Jesus, kill him. No. <laughs> because literally, as long as, we live in, as long as we live in this body, right? There's going to be temptation as long as you live in that body. And I know people think, oh, you just get older and you don't have tempted anymore. No, 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 no. The Bible says that you grow worse as you get older. Hello. That's why they got that phrase, dirty old man. Because <laughs> you don't get better. Listen, that, that sin's got a grip on you. And it doesn't get better because you get older. So in Genesis Chapter three, we have Adam and Eve, garden that God has put them in, the garden of Eden. And the serpent, the Bible says, was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, 
You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it nor touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So what Satan did immediately when temptation came was he countered God's word. And he said, what God said is not true. What God said is not true. You can make your own decisions. You can be the, you can be the God of your life. You can decide what's right and wrong for you. What God said is not true. And that's really where temptation comes. The devil said, it's not true for you. It's not true today. I mean, we live in a modern society. The Bible is so antiquated. It's not right for you. Uh, in Jude, which is one of the last books in the Bible, it's a little book, but the third verse says, beloved, well, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. I found it necessary to exhort you to contend for the faith, which was once and for all delivered to the saints. So here's what Jude is saying. There is going to be a temptation for you to back off on what you used to believe. You, you, you used to believe in, in healing, but you don't anymore. You used to believe that certain things were wrong because you found in the Bible that God said they were wrong, but you don't anymore. The temptation is going to be to back away from the word of God, to say that's not true, it's not for me, it's no longer relevant in the society that we live in today. I, I want to look at the book of Ephesians with you for a moment. Now, one of the reasons I, I like the book of Ephesians as a, as a Christian is one of the few books that are written where there's no problems. Almost every single one of the epistles are written to address certain problems and situations that are in churches. But this one, it's not true. And it's just really solid, great teaching on a number of different subjects that all of us as Christians need to understand. But he comes again as he's ending. And, and I, I love the fact that it's not in the beginning, it's at the end. He comes to the point of how do we resist the devil? How do we stand? And I think the fact that it's in the last chapter, near the very end, it's important because we don't focus on the devil. He's not our focus. Jesus is our focus. Loving him, serving him, worshiping him, pleasing him, that's our focus. But there is a devil. There is a devil. And at some point, we just have to recognize how do we deal with that. So as the book of Ephesians is closing... Paul is dealing with that subject. And he says, finally, my brother, like we've got all this other stuff, important stuff, other way. Now, here's something you have to understand. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Again, it's not you're going to get your willpower together and you're going to go, no, 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 I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't, because you will. But we're going to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Paul said, it's no longer I that live, but... Christ lives in me and the life that I now live, I live by faith and by the power of the son of God. It's not my stuff. It's his stuff. The power of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand 
against the wiles, the tricks, the temptations of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Anytime that we think that a person is the enemy, we're wrong. And, and, and listen, I mentioned it earlier, but religion is mean. Religion follows rules and regulations, but that's not what Christians do. We've been saved by grace. In fact, the Bible is very clear that God saves the ungodly. So if you're a Christian, it's not because God looked down and said, ooh, look at them. They're so great. They're so awesome. I need to get them in my family. No, God looked at you and went, they are ungodly. They're hopeless. And what do you, you you're, you're saved by grace, not because of what you've done. Romans 3.20 says no one, not Billy Graham, not Mother Teresa, no one has ever been made right with God by obeying rules, Amen. by the works of the law. Nobody, not you, not me, not Mother Teresa, not Billy Graham. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. It's God's grace because everybody that he saves, he calls ungodly, ungodly. And why do we then get saved and think that we're going to be right with God by obeying a bunch of rules and regulations? And why do some people get mad? I mean, you know, religious people can be mad. I've met Christians that are mad. Looking, listen, if you've got the spirit of Jesus, you shouldn't be mad. You're not mad. We love, we love Jesus and we love every sinner on planet earth. We don't love their sin, but we love them and we're not mad at them. If it were not for God's grace, there go you and I. So, so we, we, we need to be people of grace and extend grace and extend love. And we are not fighting against flesh and blood. One translation says people with bodies. You know, your boss, your mother-in-law, whoever it is, they're not your enemy. But against, and he begins here to talk about the rank and file of demon spirits, Satan's kingdom. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Sometimes you do everything you know to do and it seems like the breakthrough has not come through. But God's timing is not our timing. And sometimes when you've done everything you need to do and you think, what else do I need to do? The Bible says, stand. You've done everything, just stand. Because in due season, you'll reap if you faint not. Don't give up. You say, well, I've done everything. Then the Bible says, stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 
Now, as we've got all this armor on, now Paul was in prison and uh, he would have a Roman guard who would be sitting outside his, his cell. And undoubtedly every day he would see that guard taking off and putting on all of that armor. And he compares it to our spiritual life. But it's interesting that there's only one offensive weapon mentioned. Only one. And he says, take the sword of the spirit. How many of you realize that let's just say, whether it's basketball or football, how many of you know you can't win on defense? I mean, you can have a great defense and you need a great defense, but you can't score on defense. To win, you gotta be on offense. Now, there is literally just one offensive weapon. You can take that, that shield of faith and you can stop all those fiery darts of the enemy, but you're not taking ground. To take ground, you've got to have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, in the Greek language, translated Word of God in our Bibles, there's two different Greek words and they have totally different meanings. One is the Greek word logos, and that basically means the entire Bible. But there is another Greek word, and that's what's used here. And it's the Greek word rhema. And it means the word of God that is alive on the inside of you, that you have revelation about, and that you are speaking. It's one you're using. That's why Jesus, every time he said, it is written. It is written. Now, let me just close with the book of Romans chapters four and the first verse of the fifth chapter. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. Who does God justify? The ungodly. That's who he justifies. And if you say I'm a Christian and I say I'm a Christian, what that means is when God found me, I was ungodly. I was ungodly. You were ungodly. It says that he justifies. Now, what does that mean? Probably the simplest way to explain it is to say, just as if I'd never done it. That's what happens. God, God literally cleans your slate and makes you new on the inside. And he looks at you and it's just as if I'd never sinned. His faith is accounted to him for righteousness. Not because your behavior has been perfect, but because your faith is accounted to you for righteousness. Verse 25, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. You may have heard people say uh, the Jewish people or the Romans crucified Jesus, but that is not true. You crucified him. He went to the cross because of your, my offenses. That's why he went to the cross. He was delivered up because of our offenses, but he was raised because of or when we were justified. In other words, the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead is positive proof that your sin was 100% completely paid for. He shed his blood and paid for your sin. 
chapter five, verse one. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. God's not mad. Understand that? God's not mad at you. God's not mad at a sinner because Jesus, he paid for that sin. And what God wants to do is he wants to justify the ungodly. This is what Paul said, first, second, second Corinthians chapter five. He said, we begged you in God's place, be reconciled to God. We beg. Does that sound like somebody who's mad at sin? We beg you, we beg you in God's place, be reconciled to God. Christians should be known not for what we're against, but for what we're for. For what we're for. We're for holy living. We're for life. We shouldn't be known for things that we're opposed to because really we're not opposed, but we're for. And because we're for one thing, we don't accept the other. We have peace with God. He's not mad at you. Sin's not keeping you from him because Jesus paid for it. But what he wants from every person is for us to receive the forgiveness and surrender our life to Jesus. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? God loves you so much. There is nothing you could do or have done that could make him love you less or even nothing you could do to make him love you more. Jesus came to save, to forgive, to give a new life to the ungodly. And there is no life so dark, no sin so shocking, no sex so perverted, relationship so appalling, addiction so dreadful, that the blood of Jesus will not reach down into the pit where you are and cleanse you, lift you up, and make you whole. If you're here today and you say, I want to get right with God, I'm away from the Lord, and I want to pray a prayer to receive forgiveness and surrender my life to Jesus, I'm going to count to three. When I say three, would you please lift your hand? Every head bowed, every eye closed. As you lift your hand, this is what you're saying to God. God, I know I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I'm coming to Jesus to be saved and to be forgiven. I want to receive the forgiveness that he has for me. One, as you lift your hand, you're saying, today I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus. Every part, I'm holding nothing back. He is going to be my Lord, my King. Two, as you lift that hand, you're saying, today I am going to receive him. He's going to come into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. My past is going to be gone. He's going to make me a new person on the inside, a part of God's family, on my way to heaven. Three, just lift that hand up. Pray with me, I'm not right. Thank you. I see that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand and a hand and another and another and another. One, two more hands over here, hand in the back, up in the balcony. I'm not where I should be with God, but I want to get right. Thank you, God bless you. Anybody else? Include me, thank you. God bless you, right up here. All right. Would everybody please stand? Now, if you lifted your hand, please look right at me. Nobody moving unless it's absolutely necessary. But if you lifted your hand, look right at me. Would you please move to the aisle that's nearest you? Bring the person you came with. 
bring, you didn't bring a coat, bring your purse, bring your Bible, bring whatever you brought, bring your hoodie, but make your way right down here. And God is going to meet us right here. And when we say amen in a moment, your path is going to be gone. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. This is your day. Give them a hand as they're coming. God bless you. God bless you in the back over here. God bless you. If you're in the balcony, make your way down. Hey, over here to my right. Come on down. God is going to meet us right here. And we're going to say amen in a moment. When we say amen, your path will be gone. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. Okay. Awesome. God bless you. Awesome, man. God bless you. God bless. Awesome. God bless, man. God bless. Awesome. God bless you. All right. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. It says, whosoever, that means you, every one of you, will call on the name of the Lord. And we're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to. And this is a promise. It says, will be saved. You just pray this from your heart. And when you say amen, you're going to be forgiven. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be a part of his family. All right. So everybody, would you take one hand, place it over your heart, lift your other hand towards heaven, and let's pray together and say, make these words your own. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I receive the forgiveness that Jesus purchased for me. I thank you my past is gone. That I'm a part of your family. Today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.